Welcome to the podcast of Saltbox Church, where we attempt to get out of the way and let the Bible speak, revealing the person and presence of King Jesus today. Good morning, church. So do me a favor, reach your hand out towards me. This is biblical, by the way. Reach your hand out towards me and say, Lord Jesus, help Michael. And then put your hand on your chest. Go, Lord Jesus, help me. Father, as we open your word today, would you speak to us? Would you show us? Holy Spirit, we give you permission to convict, to change, to change our perspective, to break paradigms, to raise up the kingdom within us, to change the way we see ourselves, you, each other. Father, heal marriages, heal families, heal parent-child relationships. Father, would you rule and reign here in this place, in our hearts, and in this building. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said... Amen. All right. I am in Acts 8. Um, I am going to uh, sort of move through the rest of Acts 8. Um, And in the middle of Acts 8, there's this Ethiopian uh, guy who is also a eunuch. We'll talk a little bit about that. Um, But he is a non-believer. He's coming to faith in Jesus. And as he's coming to faith in Jesus, he's hanging out on his chariot which might be like, I don't know, some nice car today. But he's hanging out on his chariot, and he's reading the Bible. It's an Old Testament passage of Scripture from the scroll of Isaiah. So if you want to also turn to Isaiah 53, if you've got a paper Bible or if you're scrolling, that's fine too. Um, But Isaiah 53, we're going to cross-reference that. Um, So Acts chapter 8 and Isaiah 53. Here's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about um, Philip, and I'm going to call him Philip the Brave. Um, And some of you may identify with him, okay? Then we're going to flip, and we're going to talk about this Ethiopian God-seeker, because this guy has come a long way to find God in Jerusalem and at the temple, um, and he's actually going to find Jesus. It's going to be pretty amazing. Um, Then we are going to talk about Jesus, King Jesus, Messiah Jesus, the suffering servant, which is found in Isaiah 53. It's really what leads the Ethiopian God-seeker to faith in this Yahweh God. And then we're going to tie it all up with God being first cause, the kingdom of God being alive and active in our lives, and an invitation for us to step into it more fully. Sound good? All right, and then we've got a communion that we'll end our whole service with. So here we go. Um, I am going to start reading in Acts chapter 8. I'm reading out of an NIV. I'm going to start in verse 26. I'm just going to read a verse or two, and then we're going to talk about Philip, who I'm calling Philip the Brave. All right, uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, do you ever wonder what that looks like? Like an angel of the Lord said to Philip. I can't say I've ever experienced that. I'm not sure. The angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south on the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Have you heard of the Gaza Strip? Yeah, yeah it's in the news all the time, you know. Um, but that, that's where we're talking about. It goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out. So did he obey? Yes. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. Now, I want to pause here just for a second, and I want to open up kind of our minds on Philip's um, potentially. This is not scriptural. This is sort of Michael's conjecture. Um, but I want to open us up potentially on what, on what uh, Philip's state of mind could be. 
Now, just a few chapters earlier, Philip was appointed, along with six other guys, um, to be a deacon and to serve people in this growing New Testament church who didn't have enough food, right? And one of his good friends was a guy by the name of Stephen, who was appointed with him. Now, Stephen, if you were with us a few weeks ago, and you can go back and listen if you weren't, but Stephen preached this just super um, sort of impassioned, vivacious sermon, um, and he actually gets killed. So Philip now um, is, and I'm going to go back up to the beginning of Acts chapter 8. It says, on that great on that day, a great, well, let me start at the beginning, Act 8, verse 1, and Saul approved of their killing him. That is Stephen. Um, and on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Okay, so first, uh, we have Philip, who I'm going to propose one of his best friends. I don't know that it was his best friend, but it was somebody he was co-laboring with. Um, he was rolling alongside, he's doing ministry with, and one of his best friends has been um, killed kind of in a mob killing. Okay, so how could he be feeling? Yeah, afraid. Um, he could be feeling. He could be. He could be feeling anger. Could he be feeling doubt towards God? Yeah. Could he be questioning um, his existence and whether or not he even wants to be a Christian? Yeah. Could he potentially um, be doubting whether God is good? You know, I think that's one of the things that the enemy tries to do with us Christians is if he can get us thinking or believing that God is not good, we begin to distance ourselves from God because things happen in our lives and sometimes we don't trust why they happened. Abby and I have had a series of things happen in the last two months and we had to step back in our living room the other day, just the two of us, and say, man, this is a lot. I'm a little bit tempted uh, to just sort of doubt the goodness and protection of God at this moment. And go, oh gosh, our, parent, our, our pastor is doubting God. Here's the good news. Here's the good news. All of us at moments are going to doubt God. And Abby and I didn't say that so that we could wallow in our doubt. We just had to say it out loud. And then we went, Lord Jesus, would you forgive us? Would you plant the truth of who you are on our hearts? And would you enable us to continue to walk faithfully, believing in your goodness, trusting in your goodness, and then uh, responding and pursuing hard after you? And that's it, right? That's the transactional nature of the kingdom of God. You don't have to make yourself perfect. You don't even have to change the way you feel. But it is helpful to acknowledge the way you feel, be honest with God and each other, and then confess it. And then let the Holy Spirit do what he's going to do, right? Let him cleanse you. That's, that's the way this works. So my guess is that Stephen, uh, <clears throat> when Stephen died, Philip was deeply, deeply hurt. He was very young. These guys were probably 18 to 26. So they're young, um, somewhat inexperienced. I'm sure they didn't think, I mean, when they were appointed to like deacons in the church, how do you think they felt? important like the apostles laid their hands on me I'm Philip and this is Stephen and we're important and we've been singled out and we've been promoted and really fast not only are they promoted they become like preachers and evangelists like it's really amazing God just takes them and he lifts them up really really quickly and I would bet inside of their little hearts they're somewhere they're going I'm doing okay right and then all of a sudden Stephen dies and I think the question at that moment is Philip's faith is fully tested. And what we don't really know here is why the angel of the Lord showed up, why the Lord chose to speak to Philip this way, but he made it so crystal clear. 
And you know what's funny is I look back across my life, if I, um, if, if I drew a line sort of from that speaker all the way to this speaker, and, and I put these little tick marks on the line, this was one of the hardest points in Michael's life, and this was one of the hardest points in Michael's life, and this was one of the hardest points. If I, if I drew the hardest, most difficult, challenging seasons, and then if I step back and said, when did Michael experience the greatest intimacy with King Jesus, I would then go back and almost always put a small tick mark right after the greatest difficulty. It's, a, it's this like kingdom thing that's like really hard to even get your head around. And then I think God in his grace, if I had to go back and look at the timeline of my life again and go, when did God speak most clearly to me? Or, or perhaps a better way to think about it is when was Michael listening most uh, fervently? Either way you want to look at it, but they would also be in those same moments where things were most difficult. So I think in some ways that this is God's act of grace towards Philip. This is God looking down at Philip, having compassion that Philip's heart is hurting. Philip is doubting. So all of a sudden there's this huge like mega church of 15, 20,000 people in Jerusalem. Stephen gets killed. Persecution breaks out. This dude named Saul is, is dragging Christians to be killed and or thrown in prison. And the church like scatters everywhere, Right? And so Philip is scattered, and every one of these Christians has to now ask the question, Lord, because we were facing persecution, am I going to, like, turn in my Christian badge? Like, am I just going to give up, you know, because things have gotten difficult and scary, and because, who knows, maybe I'm next, am I going to stop following you, trusting you, and seeking after you? And lo and behold, the angel of the Lord shows up and says to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, this is not one of the main points, but I do want to at least uh, make it. Can God speak like this today? Yes. Will he always? No. No. He speaks in all sorts of different ways. Are you necessarily going to have an angel of God show up? I've never had an angel of God show up and say, Michael, go. I just haven't. Does that make me less holy? Maybe. I don't know. Don't think it really matters. I'm being kind of silly because I'm, the point is our job is to listen and respond and obey, okay? His job is to be God, and the way he chooses to communicate is his business. But here's what I know. God speaks Michael, and God speaks Shannon. You hear me? God speaks your language, and when he wants to get in touch with you, he will grab, you know, jingle your, the bell and get in touch with you. And you, if, if your heart is turned and postured towards him, you'll be at a place where you can go, yes, Lord. And that's what Philip clearly did here. Now, I also wonder at this moment um, if there was a moment where Philip was like, I don't want to go. Like we, like, we don't get that in this scripture. We don't really know. But I just can't imagine there wasn't this like little thing in his brain that went, uh, Stephen obeyed you and look what happened. Right? Am I going to obey you? I'm going to go south on the desert road. Here it is. I'm going to my, you know, I'm going to the end. I mean, that's, that's the, the, sort of the way our human mind often works. But what's amazing is the, the, the enemy, the devil, we talked about him a little bit last week, but the enemy, the devil, is lurking behind all of this church persecution, right? But what's amazing is he has overplayed his hand. Um, and in fact, the, the attack on this infant church has the opposite effect. And instead of smothering the gospel, um, the persecution um, spreads the gospel. And, and with great persecution um, springs up great faith, great evangelism, and great revival. Like, it's like, what? 
So again, and I've said this a number of times, but if you're here and you're wringing your hands over what you see in our country or around the world, stop. Hear me. Stop. Because with great darkness and with great persecution and with you know, great difficulty often comes great faith and then great evangelism and then great revival. I actually am convinced that we are on the precipice of the greatest evangelism opportunity of the last couple generations. And I think he's going to do it. So let's be about, instead of as Christians, sowing doubt or negativity or unbelief into the little um, you know, think tanks and conversation wheels, let's be about infusing it with hope. I wonder what God's going to do. Let's believe in the goodness of God. Let's pray for the goodness of God. So back to Philip. An angel of the Lord shows up and says to Philip, go south on the road, the desert road. And he does. Okay. Um, I think that's, that pretty much covers it. I, I, I want to say um, probably two other things about Philip, and then I want to make a comparison to, to um, where something that's happened in the last century. Um, but, but I would call Philip brave because I think Philip decided against enormous odds to follow Jesus. I think he's brave. Philip the Brave is what, how I think of him. He's not one of the apostles. He's one of the deacons. And what's really, really cool, you don't have to turn here, um, but at the very end of the book of Acts, Acts 21, verse 8, here's what it says. Leaving the next day, we, I know you don't know who we is, but this is Paul, who was Saul, and Dr. Luke. We reached Caesarea, and we stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist. He was one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Isn't it interesting that at the end of the race, Philip is living in a little seaside, beautiful seaside town named Caesarea, and Paul and Dr. Luke come, and they actually stay at his house. I wonder what Philip felt like when the guy who killed one of his best friends rolls in, and he welcomes and opens his home and has this great apostle Paul who was Saul in his home. I can't imagine that he didn't go back to those moments when his friend was killed. Okay, um, let me also tie some sort of current uh, thinking into uh, Philip the Brave. Um, there's this lady by the name of Angela Duckworth. You ever heard of her? Anybody heard of her? Man, like not a one. Come on. Okay, well, she wrote a book, um, and, and here's, here's what she said. She studied, this was fascinating to me, um, she studied successful people. And she was trying to determine, like, the one thing. You know, what's the one thing that creates success? And here's what. She studied them for years and years and years with a huge team of people at all these different, like, socioeconomic and different places and whatever, all over the country. And here's what she found out. Are you ready? It's not about social intelligence. It's not about IQ. It's not about good looks. It's not about physical health. It's not about talent. The one thing that sets people who end up being successful apart is, get ready, grit. Grit. It was, I had a good laugh over this this week because I'm getting ready for my Philip sermon and I'm going, Philip is gritty. And here's what's really, really funny is we at Saltbox often say we are a Gritty church. I say it. We're a gritty church. And I hadn't actually read Angela um, when I said that. And what's funny is we've, there have been those of us who have taken it to mean we're like um, last minute or unplanned or not structured or whatever. But that has nothing to do with it. What I mean by gritty is the ability to persevere and not quit. 
So under fire, when the chips are down, when doubt creeps up, when your fear rises up, when the circumstances are overwhelm, uh, overwhelming, you go, I'm standing and I'm going to follow Jesus. And this is the one thing. Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord. And he is good. And it is about knowing him and being known by him. And no matter what happens, I'm going to follow him. That's gritty. And if, according to Angela, what does it take for a person to be successful? Grit. This is Philip the Brave. This is Philip the Gritty, who has just lost his best friend. He's in the middle of grief. I can only imagine, even after this revival that just taken place in Samaria, when he's preaching in verse 4, 5, and 6, he's preaching. I can only imagine that there aren't moments when Philip stops preaching, walks into a private secret spot out on the countryside where nobody else is around, and breaks down and weeps for the loss of his friend. He is a real human. These are real people. Okay, the other thing I would just speak to on Philip the Brave is I think there's a, a difference um, on internal inspiration born of the Spirit and external motivation born of circumstances. You hear me? Like, it's easy to follow God and be, like, motivated in your, you know, faith when everything's good, right? But when everything gets difficult, all of a sudden your metal's tested. What you're made of inside, what your faith is built, how much do you trust him? How much are you willing to follow him? And are you truly following him, born of the Spirit, out of deep internal inspiration? That's what Jesus means when he says, rivers of living water will rise up and flow forth from within you. Beautiful. So I'm convinced Philip's gritty. I'm convinced that Philip's following Jesus out of internal inspiration, born of the Holy Spirit. I'm convinced that Philip is brave, Philip the brave. And so he is, here he is, and he is uh, following Jesus um, into places where he doesn't know people, he doesn't have friends, he's following God, and he is preaching Jesus. Now, let me make a, before we shift and talk about this Ethiopian God seeker. So we got Philip the Brave. And if any one of you here would go, I'm in a spot where I'm scared, I am doubting, I'm unsure, I would say, welcome. This is a safe spot. Go to God. Trade your broken, insecure, doubt-filled, whatever, for the holiness and righteousness and the mind of Christ. Take those thoughts captive. Appropriate the finished work of the cross of Christ Jesus and stand up and be gritty. I'm going to do it. Joyce Meyer used to say, uh, do it afraid. If you're struggling with fear, get up and do it afraid. I loved that. Sometimes you got to do that. Okay, so uh, just a historical thing in the last century that reminds me of the scattering that has happened um, here and the, and the persecution. Uh, China, in 1949, um, the national government was defeated by communism. Uh, 637 missionaries, exactly, I tell you, 637 missionaries had to leave the country. They had to flee for their life and uh, were, were, were run out of the country. So guess what the church said? Oh, no! Come on. Did everybody wring their hands? Yeah. Did everybody worry? Mm-hmm. Did everybody get afraid? Yeah, okay, well, let me tell you what's happened. Within four years, 286 of those missionaries redeployed in Southeast Asia and Japan. And today, according to this guy named Daryl Ireland, a Boston University School of Theology um, guy, he's a, 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 a professor, he estimates that the Christian community there has grown from 1 million to 100 million. 
listen to me, church, and like hear me so loud and clear. With difficulty, with trial, with persecution, with sifting, if you will bow your knee and humble your heart before a holy God and appropriate his goodness and choose to believe in his goodness, choose to be gritty, choose to follow him, he will rise up within you in reviving your heart, filling you with faith, and you will then in turn have this like ripple effect on the people all around you. That's how a nation experiences revival. That's how a nation experiences awakening is when people like Philip the Brave choose to be gritty and go, I'm going to stand. I'm going to believe that he's good and I'm going to follow him. And if he shows up and tells me to go south on the road, well, no matter what comes, I'm going. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I'm going to follow Jesus. Come on. Okay. I hope some of you identify uh, with, with Philip the Brave. Um, who I think was also Philip the Fearful at moments. All right, let's shift. Let's keep reading. We're going to talk about this Ethiopian God seeker. Verse 27. So he, Philip, started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official. So important people, think what of themselves? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty important. You got it. Um, he, is he wealthy? Almost assuredly, he's in charge of all the treasury of the queen of the Ethiopians. Now, he has traveled from Africa all the way to Jerusalem. Okay? Fascinating distance that this person has traveled. So, can we immediately, like when when Jesus said, I'm sending you um, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth to share the gospel. um, In there, in this like time and place, Ethiopia was like the end of the known world. I mean, really, this is like as far as anyone ever even like, like thought of. And so this Ethiopian gets on apparently his chariot, which we're going to read, and he goes all the way to Jerusalem. So let's keep going. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. Now, why Jerusalem? The temple is there. The Solomon Temple is in Jerusalem. It's the center of the Jewish faith. Something has gotten this guy's attention somewhere. There's all sorts of different schools of thought on him. I'm not going to dig fully into that. But regardless, something has got his attention, and he has made this huge pilgrimage all the way to Jerusalem to find Yahweh God. Okay, on his way home, so he had gone to the temple, and now he's driving home. Um, He was sitting in his chariot. Do commoners have chariots? No. No. I mean, he, we're talking a couple of horses, chariots. So he's hanging out in his chariot with the air conditioning on, reading the book. Thank you for laughing. Reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. Verse 29, the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Okay, what we don't know is, is the chariot parked or perhaps he's got a driver and he's like sitting in the back of the chariot and he's got his feet up and he's reading. It's a scroll, okay? It's not like a book. It's a scroll. Now, uh, this is really funny and maybe you've never thought of this, but do you know that people didn't always read silently? That was a late addition to like education and the process of like, uh, you know, personal enrichment and whatever. So at, at this point in time, when people read something, guess how they read? Out loud. I mean, so he's reading. He's hanging out on his chariot. He's reading out loud. And he's been to Jerusalem. And the spirit tells Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Verse 30, then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. 
Do you understand what you're reading? Now, here's what we don't know. The chariot could have been rolling down the road. That, that's probably the best guess, is the chariot sort of going down the road. You've got a chariot driver. This important, wealthy Ethiopian man is in the back of the chariot. He's reading Isaiah the, the, Isaiah the prophet. Um, he's also just been to Jerusalem. And you've got Philip now running beside him. Serious. Philip's running. Do you understand what you're reading? You know? And so Philip's obeyed, and he's just on this desert road. Now, this would have been very normal because important, wealthy people, right, they don't have to stop their chariot or do anything. People come up to them all the time and just run next to them. Right? So they're having this whole conversation, and Philip is, is jogging, um, most likely, next to the chariot. Now, let me pause here and um, open some things for your, for your thinking and consideration. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay, um, eunuchs uh, would have been servants um, or slaves, um, and they were physically castrated to make them less threatening um, as servants of a royal court um, or a ruler who could wield great influence. And so oftentimes, someone would go through that process, and then they would be trusted um, with their queen or their king, and they would be allowed to hear conversations and in, in certain like changing areas and whatever. So this guy is, he is important, but he is also... Um, I mean, he's, he's gone through some things. Let's just say that, okay? Um, now, <clears throat> let me bring you into something about the Jewish temple at this moment. I'm going to do it as quickly as possible. But Herod's temple, um, which was destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD, contained four separate courts. Uh, the court of the Gentiles, the court of women, the court of Israel, or the court of men, and the court of priests, okay? Four courts. The court of the Gentiles is referred to as the outer court in Revelation 11.2, if you want to cross-check me or look it up. Um, so the court of the Gentiles was the outermost courtyard. And by the way, am I a Gentile? Yes. Are most of you Gentiles? Yes. Okay. So would we have been allowed into the innermost uh, parts of that temple? No. Would I have been allowed into that um, Gentile courtyard if I was in process of becoming a Jewish proselyte? Yes. Yes. Okay, so the name um, sort of implies that that Gentile court was accessible to Gentiles, foreigners, and those who were considered impure. Okay, so worshipers could mill about, and it would have been there that when Jesus um, uh, cleared the temple twice, remember with the whip, he braided the whip, it's in John 2 and Matthew 21, he drove out the money changers, um, and he said, my house will be called a house of prayer. So it was, it was that court uh, that he would have cleared out. Make sense? Now, um, I'm not going to flip there, but I am going to flip there, actually. Deuteronomy 23.1, really quickly. Actually, I don't have it, so I'm just going to read it to you. Deuteronomy 23.1. Um, no one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord. Okay, why is this important? Michael, what are you taking us down these crazy roads? I'm sorry if you're uncomfortable. It's important. No one who has been emasculated, may enter the assembly of the Lord. Would this Ethiopian eunuch have been allowed into the court of the Gentiles? Okay, so hang on. This guy got on his chariot, and he's journeyed from another continent all the way up through Egypt, up through Gaza Strip, through the desert, all the way up to Jerusalem, where he has come to find Yahweh, the living God, and he is considered impure, and he is so impure that he's not even allowed into the court of the Gentiles. So I want, you to, I want you to feel something here, just a minute. Every one of us, men, women, children, doesn't matter. But feel the rejection that he may be feeling. 
I have traveled so far to come and find this Yahweh God. I have traveled so far to understand who he is. I've responded to this God in some way, shape, or form, and I've gone all the way there, and I'm not even allowed into the outer court of the Gentiles where the rest of the non-Jewish people are allowed. So I imagine as he gets on his chariot and he's reading his book of Isaiah as he's heading back home, what might he be feeling? Dejected? Disappointed? Could be resentful, I heard somebody say. Um, hurt could be uh, not believing. Like, who wants to follow a God like this? Doubt. I mean, all sorts of things are happening inside of him, right? <clears throat> okay. So, um, and, and I've, I don't even know if I want to, like, take you down this road, but let me say it quickly because I think it's a really powerful, if you're, a, if you're a, like, a, a thinking person and want to understand even the book of Isaiah, this is really powerful. Um, but it, it is an aside. In 1948... Um, in Qumran, Israel, on the northern part of the Dead Sea, uh, there, uh, a Bedouin shepherd found um, uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls, okay? And, and this is really important. And if you're in here today, and maybe this is for you, but if you're in here today and you're, you're a doubter or a skeptic, um, the, the, the finding of the Dead Sea Scrolls was so powerful because it obliterated the, literal, uh, the, the, um, the liberal theology of the day that said the book of Isaiah was fabricated because it was written after Jesus, that's what a lot of people would have said during, during pre-1948. They would have said the book of Isaiah is fabricated. Now, who's reading the book of Isaiah? I'm going to tie this together. The Ethiopian eunuch. Okay. And Philip's about to explain to him what it means. So the reason this is powerful and the reason the, de- the finding of the Dead Sea Scrolls was powerful is there's liberal theology that says all this is a big farce. It was written after Jesus uh, died. And so this whole thing is made up. Well, the finding of the Dead Sea Scrolls dated it a thousand years before the latest uh, translation sort of that we had. And what that did, it didn't prove the existence of God or the veracity of Jesus, but what it did is it definitely obliterated all ultra-liberal theology that said that the book of Isaiah was made up. Does that make sense? So huge thing for those, for, for like scholars in the Christian faith was the finding of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Okay, so let's go back. So we have, I'm in verse um, 29. The Spirit tells Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. That's what makes me think Philip's running, remember? He's staying near it. It must be moving. Verse 30, then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading the prophet, or reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Now, let's just think of the levels of obedience of Philip, first of all. First of all, the angel appeared and said, go south. He goes. Um, Then he sees uh, this person, and the spirit said, go to that chariot and stay near it. So he does. He's running. I wonder if he felt like a fool. I mean, have you ever shared Jesus with somebody? I mean, sometimes uh, Buck Baker's not here today, but I love Buck. He's one of our, our um, part of our congregation family here at Saltbox. And he goes to Curie Beach Pier. He's going to be embarrassed that I said this. But he goes to Curie Beach Pier just to share Jesus. Like he gets in his car and drives to Curie Beach and parks and goes and hangs out on the pier, not to fish, not to enjoy the sun. He does some of that stuff, but strategically to go share Jesus. It reminds me of Philip here. I mean, like Philip is running after this chariot just to share Jesus. And I can't imagine there's not a moment where Philip's like, oh, I feel like a fool. What am I doing? Yeah, come on. If you ever felt that way, you're in good company. Verse 31. So Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? Verse 31. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me? So this is very unusual. The eunuch invites Philip to come up and sit with him where? In the chariot. 
This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was like a sheep to the slaughter. Now, this is a quote just from Isaiah. And we're going to flip back there in just a minute. Isaiah 53. Who's it talking about? He. Jesus was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from earth? Verse 34. The eunuch asked him, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? I mean, is this guy hungry for the kingdom of God? Yeah, is this guy hungry to know Jesus? Yeah, is he hungry to know Yahweh God? I mean, like, he is, like, after it. Verse 35, then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Now, if you've got a paper Bible, I want you to circle, told him the good news about Jesus. In fact, just circle, told him the good news. One, two, three, four, those are five words. And just kind of quickly, um, in the Greek, that's um, eugenalisto is kind of what the, the word is. But here, it's where we get our word, eugenalisto. What do you think comes from it? Evangelism. Somebody said it. Come on. Evangelism. Okay, so here's why this matters. We get our word for preaching and evangelism from this Greek word, uh, which means um, Philip just showed up and told him the good news about Jesus. Is preaching or evangelism from a stage? Can it be from a stage? What stage is Philip doing it from? The backseat of the chariot. Like, so here's what I want you to get. Preaching and evangelism is not up the professional Christians and preachers. Preaching and evangelism is up for those who are courageous enough to hear the Spirit of God, willing to risk their own, like, security, and go trotting up alongside the Ethiopian and say, hey, do you understand what you're reading? Do you want me to tell you about it? Like, preaching um, and evangelism belongs to you, every one of us. That is the biblical definition of preaching and evangelism. So I would actually say to you, if I was sitting with you in person, I might look at you in the eyes and say, who's God called you to share Jesus with this week? Who's your Ethiopian eunuch? Who are you running up beside? Hmm, Selah. Okay. <clears throat> I'm going to pause on verse 36, and we're going to flip back to Isaiah 53. Okay, if you're on the YouVersion Bible or Bible Gateway, great. Isaiah 53, if you're in a paper Bible, that's the Old Testament, about halfway through. Isaiah 53, I'm not going to read all of it, but I am going to read a few things. I'm going to start in verse 3. Isaiah 53, now this was written multiple uh, thousands of years before Christ. Okay, but it's Bible prophecy, so it's foretelling the coming of Jesus. And when you begin to look at it and understand it through that lens, it is absolutely mind-boggling. So let's read what this Ethiopian was reading. Uh, Isaiah 53, verse 3. He was despised and rejected by others. Who? It's foretelling Jesus. That's right. He was a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Was part of the Ethiopian eunuch despised and rejected by people. Yes, and I think we begin to see the key of how God unlocked the door of this Ethiopian God-seeker's heart. Like one from whom people hid their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. 
Verse 4, surely he took up our pain and he bore our suffering. So who's taking up our pain? Jesus. So as this Ethiopian eunuch is reading Isaiah 53, do you think it is resonating with him? I'd say yes. Yet we consider him punished by God. That's saying Jesus will be punished by God. In other words, Jesus takes on the sin of you and me and all humankind for all time. And uh, stricken by him, God, and afflicted, verse 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions. Pierced on the cross. That's where the, it was, his nails and feet were pierced. The, the, the spear went in through his side. He was pierced. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, whose wounds? Jesus. We are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way. That's why I'm always sharing with you even how I turn aside. We all have to come back. The Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of Michael, of Carol, of Daniel. He has laid on our iniquity on Jesus. Verse 7. Now, this is what is quoted in in Acts 8. Uh, He, Jesus, was oppressed and afflicted, and he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, he did not open his mouth. Now, who didn't open his mouth? Now, I want you to think for a second, if you've hung with us and been through the book of John, we just preached through that, you could go back and find it. But did Jesus speak before Caiaphas? No. Did Jesus speak before Annas? No. Did Jesus speak before Herod? No. Did Jesus speak before Pilate? No. Like the fulfillment of this is incredible. Now, flip the analogy. Ethiopian eunuch hanging out in his chariot. He's wealthy, but he's also disrespected. There's like a, there's a double kind of thing going on in this guy's life. A servant, and he is a servant of the king or queen in Ethiopia. He is not permitted to speak or talk back. So he himself, the Ethiopian eunuch, is subject to the will of a master or the mistress. So just like Jesus is silent before Pilate, before Caiaphas, before Herod, before Annas, um, this guy uh, has to be, the Ethiopian eunuch has to be what before his master, king, or mistress? So this guy is no stranger to suffering in total silence. And all of a sudden he finds a God who was oppressed and afflicted and yet did not open his mouth, who was led like a lamb to the slaughter and a sheep before its shears is silent so he did not open his mouth. I would say to you, the Ethiopian eunuch, this Ethiopian God seeker knew what it was like to serve and to suffer in silence. And I think it's no accident that the Spirit of God led him to Isaiah 53 and he is able to read about Jesus, the one who was despised and rejected, Jesus, the one who was a sinless, silent sufferer, um, and then Jesus, the one who was raised to life and crowned with glory. Let's skip to the end of Isaiah 53, uh, verse 10. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him, Jesus, and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Verse 11, after he has suffered, he will see the light of life. In other words, he will be 
resurrected, and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Um, Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with our transgressions. So Jesus here is the one who's despised and rejected. Jesus is the one who was a, a silent sufferer. And Jesus is the one who, is, who uh, was raised to life and crowned with glory and honor. So back to Acts 8. So I imagine that when Philip shared this story with Dr. Luke, who wrote it down, I've lost my place. Give me one second. I do that sometimes. So Philip uh, shares this story with Dr. Luke. Dr. Luke writes it down. So Philip and this Ethiopian eunuch are sitting in this chariot sharing the whole of Isaiah 53. So let's keep going. Verse 36, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? So what's he beginning to say here? I believe. Now, uh, I'm not going to, I don't have the King James in front of me, but the King James version of Acts 8.37, and there's some, um, there's some dissension over this verse being in there. That's why it's not in my NIV Bible. But Acts 8.37, and the King James says, And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he, the Ethiopian, answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Pretty amazing. He's confessed with his mouth, he's believed in his heart, and now he wants to be baptized. So he says, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. This is humbling for a man of his financial position, stature, and respectability, that he would get off of his chariot, and he would actually humble himself to go under that water. It's symbolic of Jesus being crucified and buried, and then uh, we're resurrected. We come break up through the water, and we're resurrected to life with Christ Jesus. And Philip goes down with him, the Ethiopian goes down, and they come up resurrected to life in King Jesus. Verse 39, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch didn't see him again. How about that? There's all sorts of theories on this one. I'm just going to leave it in mystery, okay? They came up out of the water and the spirit of the Lord took Philip away. God doesn't exist in our space-time continuum. He is at the beginning, the middle, and the end all at the same time. He's already in next week. Verse 40, Philip, however, appeared at uh, Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached his hometown of Caesarea. Okay, here's um, two things that I want you to know, and then worship team, I'm going to call you guys back out in just a minute. Um, Number one, I want you to grasp Philip the brave um, and identify with him. Number two, I I want you to wrap your head around this Ethiopian God seeker and begin to rest assured that anyone who seeks God truly, God will reveal himself to them. He will provide. I mean, he responded to God in some ways is even the God of the outsider. This guy isn't even allowed into the temple, and yet God sends one of his precious own to deliver the message of the cross of Christ Jesus personally, this Ethiopian eunuch. It's incredible. I love the way God loves his kids. 
thirdly, we see Jesus, the suffering servant, the silent sufferer, crowned to life with glory and honor. And then fourthly, what I want you to understand is the kingdom of God is at work here. And it's first cause in Philip's life, in the taking of Stephen, um, it is first cause with this Ethiopian eunuch. And this kingdom of God is, was not just alive and active then, it is alive and active now. And if you will begin to, and we will begin to open our hearts and be responsive to him, he will interject the kingdom of God into our lives now. The same spirit that filled Philip, the same spirit that filled the eunuch, the same spirit that's happening in this New Testament church. Now, a beautiful thing from history. If you look at the country of Ethiopia, 67% of the nation is Christian right now. So tell me what you think. You connect the dots. That Ethiopian got back in his, and he rode on down the Gaza Strip and through Egypt and down to, and he established a Christian church in Ethiopia. There's church legend, there's some church history, there's some artifacts that have been found, but that's my loose belief. God is first cause. And what's interesting is in, uh, there was a king in Ethiopia who in fourth century AD made Ethiopia um, officially a Christian nation. Listen to me and get this church. Just get it a second and like sit in it. You got Philip the brave, who was probably Philip the scared, and he agrees to carry the gospel message to this Ethiopian eunuch who can't even go into the temple and is rejected and hated, okay? And this guy gives his life to King Jesus, surrenders his heart, gets down off his chariot. So he's convicted, he repents, he believes, he gets down off his chariot, he confesses with his mouth, he believes in his heart, then he gets baptized, he comes up out of the water, then Philip is taken away. I don't even know, Philip's taken away. And he gets back on his chariot and he rides to Ethiopia and likely establishes the New Testament church in Ethiopia. This is the kingdom of God. And if you identify with the Ethiopian eunuch who feels rejected or hurt or abused or silent, I have good news for you. This is the God that will raise you up. And to the degree that you're able to surrender your heart and life to him is the degree to which he is able to inhabit you and use you and empower you to become a carrier of the gospel of King Jesus. This is way good news. I'm preaching better than y'all are responding. communion out of 1 Corinthians 11, the communion passage. Paul wrote this. I'm just going to read it to you and then I'm going to put my microphone down and I'm going to break the bread and pour the wine. Okay. For I received from the Lord Jesus what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.
Father, would you take these common elements and as we prepare our hearts to receive them, would you set them apart, this juice and this bread? And Father, as we take them, would you allow us to fully appropriate the reality of a risen King Jesus into our heart and life? In the name of Jesus, we pray. We're going to have four stations. We have one on this side. We have two in the middle. And then we have one over here. I think uh, Dawn, our usher, is going to, are going to dismiss you. So you're going to stand up when he tells you, not yet. And you're going to exit this way. And you're going to go around front. Either to, If you're in the middle, you're going to go to this station or this station. And you're going to go file back to your seat. If you'll hold the bread and the juice, I'll say one more prayer. Just worship the Lord. They're going to play a worship song. And uh, we will take communion together. If you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, or if you're not, you don't feel part of the family, feel free to sit. You don't have to come take it. If you want to give your heart to Jesus right now, you can come grab me. I'm going to be standing somewhere, and I will pray with you just like the Ethiopian just prayed. Sound good? Okay. Don?
Father, we praise you for your body and your blood taken into ours. Father, we remind ourselves here that we are crucified with Christ and Jesus now lives in us and through us. Church, let's take and eat and drink, remembering what he's done. Stand with me. Father, I pray that in our house, in this church, on this day, that you would raise up some Philip the Braves. Father, I pray you'd raise up some Ethiopians who chase hard after you, who travel far and long to find you. Father, I pray that you would give us as your church, as your people. Thank you for listening to this podcast of Saltbox Church. If this content was helpful to you, please like it, rate it, review it, and share it on social media, as that is helpful to us. We believe when a person grows in their own Jesus journey, everyone around them benefits and gets better.